uh, you can turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. We've gone through, uh, I think, if, if my understanding is correct, this is the eighth message that I've preached on the book of Hebrews. Uh, sometimes we were able to combine some chapters, other times we only got a few verses. Last week, we kind of got to the main point. Uh, and so if, if anything up to last week kind of slowed us down, I believe and felt that it just all came together in, in uh, last week, just realizing what it truly means for Jesus to be that supreme sacrifice. And uh, I encourage you, Brother, Brother Tom Harding uh, mentioned it, but you can download our app uh, on your phone and you can see it and listen to it there. You can go to our website and you can listen to it and uh, pretty soon our website will be able to let you watch it as well. We're working on that uh, too. But tonight I want to conclude, uh, if you will, the, the first part of Hebrews. Hebrews is broken up into three parts, at least the way that I see it. The first, up till, till the end of chapter 10, deals with Jesus is the better. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better high priest. And then we, we jump into, into verse 11, chapter 11, and, and chapter 12, and we talk about faith. And I, I hope you have caught that even in the Old Testament, faith was required to be saved. Um, nowhere does works save us. This is not something that Martin Luther found out back in, I think, the 1600s or whenever he was. It wasn't something that just kind of came out. Faith has always been required to save mankind. Now, the object of that faith may change a little bit, or, or rather how you, how you apply that. Obviously, God is the object, but um, for, for Noah... The faith that he had in God meant that I believe God's word is true and he's going to destroy the earth and he's given me a plan of salvation and I need to build the ark. That was the plan of salvation for, for Noah. Uh, you, you, you've got Rahab hanging the scarlet cord out of her window. You've got Abraham leaving his country and going uh, to a land that God called. And then you come to the, the Mosaic covenant that God gave on Mount Sinai to Moses and that became the basis for people of that day all the way up until the day of Pentecost. That was the basis and the object that they could, could prove and show, I believe. God's word, they, they, they took that. And so I want to uh, take you to verse 9. I'm going to try to do it. I don't know how it's going to come across. I've just... As looking over it, there's a lot of things that get repeated, and I don't need to bog down and re-preach or teach some of that. And so uh, we're going to kind of just go verse by verse. I've written notes down that, that I want to uh, kind of pick up on for a moment, and then we'll, we'll uh, get to the end of chapter 10, and then we'll be ready to get into faith. I love Hebrews chapter 11. There's some neat things there. But if you will, just to kind of get us back into the mode, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13 let me just let's just start there and then y'all just sit with your Bibles on your laps and just follow along with me and we're going to get through this and we're going to see a few other things that maybe you didn't quite know about the book of Hebrews but remember we ended last week talking in verse 13 and speak and I, again I read from the uh, English Standard Version right now that's the Bible that I've been writing notes in so that's what I'm going to use here in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old 
is ready to vanish away. There's no other way to put that. The Mosaic covenant that God gave on Mount Sinai was done. And, and you can't go back. Not only is it retired, it's obsolete, it's grow, growing old, and it's vanished away. Um, I don't know if any of you have the, uh, that Galaxy Note, the one that blows up and you can't take on a plane because, you know, they get mad. If you still have the, the old note that, that, that blows up and kills people and you haven't returned it, according to Samson, some, it's not Samson, but Samsung, uh, in the next week or so, they are going to release an automatic update that will kill your phone and your phone will no longer be able to charge. So there, Samsung says, we're going to completely do away with this old model. I see someone has it, so you may want to take advantage of that. Go get your free phone or whatever they're going to do, or switch to Apple if you so choose. But uh, so, so then you would have a phone that does nothing. It cannot be charged. It, it, it cannot be used. It becomes a convenient paperweight on a desk. This is what the old covenant was. And this is the whole portion of, of Hebrews is now that we are past the day of Pentecost, there were those that wanted to go back to the old covenant. There were Jewish Christians that, for whatever reason, wanted to go back. And the point is, there's nothing to go back to. There's no other plan. God's perfect plan had come in. So let's look at this. Um, let, let's look at verse at, at chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of his presence. It was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having a golden altar of incense, an ark of a covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, I know some of you have a, a, a deep love for the tabernacle, and I, I, I do as well. Brother uh, Anthony Mangan is, is, has an incredible series that he has preached. In fact, many people have taken his series and preached at their church. I was uh, looking and having some discussions with some men online, pastors that are doing that again. They were asking, where can I get that? It's called Praying Through the Tabernacle, and it's a powerful, powerful thing. But um, here... The writer of Hebrews is not necessarily trying to put exactly everything just like you might see in the Old Testament. For example, one of the things that jumped out at me was that here it's talking that there was a the altar of incense might have been behind the, the holiest of holies. And But I want you to take note of that last line that we read. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. The reason being, is that what God had told Moses there on top of the mountain and he had made the word tabernacle, it's a tent. Uh, if you know anything about it, it was beautiful on the inside. It had all these different layers going from fine linen on the inside all the way to badger skin on the outside. And, uh, you know, all of this and it was, it was there. There was uh, certain items and certain things. But you have to realize we are thousands of years removed from that first tabernacle in the wilderness. 
I, I can't remember exactly where it is. I should know this. It's somewhere in the Kings or the Chronicles. It makes note that, that at that point, whenever it was in the Kings or the Chronicles, that the Ark of the Covenant only contained the Ten Commandments. But it was supposed to contain Aaron's rod that budded and a pot of manna. Somewhere that disappeared. Maybe the Philistines took it. Some speculate the Philistines took it when they captured the ark uh, there with the sons of Eli. Um, you know, there's other things that were, that were there. Um, as you go through Israel's history, you find that, that even though God told them this is what should happen in the tabernacle, they didn't always follow that. I mean, if you read the Kings and the Chronicles, you find that, that there were times that now we're in the temple, but it was still supposed to be the same function as that tabernacle that moved but you find that once they got to the temple there were things that happened in the temple that would have made the other pagan gods blush they completely got away from even worshiping God in the temple at times and they worshiped Baal and they worshiped Ashroth and, and they did all sorts of awful things and so you have to understand that, that as the writer of Hebrews is coming now he has the Pentateuch he has the scriptures he can go back to but if he was to walk into Herod's temple it didn't always go according to what was planned, which is the whole point of why the old covenant was go growing obsolete. They couldn't keep it up. They couldn't do it. They, 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 it just, you had, you had high priests that would offer strange fire. You had high priests that would, that would bring only the sick of the cattle so that they could keep the better cattle for themselves. You had them, uh, uh, you know, somebody would bring a sacrifice and instead of offering all to the Lord, they'd cut all the T-bones off of it so that they could have a nice steak dinner. I mean, they had really messed up, which is the entire reason why the old covenant doesn't work. And so, but I want you to, just to kind of kind of look at this, there was these two sections, and I don't know if it matters for what we're talking about today, but I found it interesting in my study is that actually the old tabernacle was actually two tents that they put together with golden clips right there where that veil separated the, the holy place from the most holy place. If you look in the temp, if you look in the tabernacle, if you look in the temple, you would find that it was a place that the closer you got to the presence of God, if you will, because there's this understanding that the Ark of the Covenant that was behind the veil, that had those two uh, golden cherubs that hovered over, if you will, and at the, the flat part on the top was called the mercy seat, and that's where, we'll see that in a moment, that's where the priest would, would bring the blood of the atonement and sprinkle it on there. You would find that that's what they said, that's where God dwelt. But the tabernacle and the temple, the closer you got to the place that God dwelled, the less people could go there. Outside the tabernacle, anybody could go. Then you had a court of the women. and Then you would have a court where Gentile men could go. And then a little bit further, only the Jewish men could go. And then go a little bit further, only priests could go. And then finally in that, that, that holiest of holies, only the high priest. And only once a year. Now, that once a year means one day a year. He actually went in three or four times. There were different things he had to do during that day. But only one day was the high priest in a year allowed, if you will, to be in the presence of God. And so now the, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, he just kind of lists some things and 
And he says, but we don't even, we can't even speak in detail because if you go to the temple right now, it's probably not doing exactly what it does there. Let's look at verse uh, eight or verse six, rather. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Now, you would say, well, well, can we unintentionally sin and it not matter? No. Because even all the way back, and that's what the law did. The law proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that mankind had sinned and there's nothing we could do to help ourselves and you need to depend on the Lord. And so uh, they would offer sin. And it wasn't that you could sin by accident. Nobody sins by accident, okay? If if I, if, if I came in and I said, you know what, I think, I think Brother Steve's car is out there. I think I saw Brother Steve's car. And someone else tells me, says, no, that wasn't Brother Steve's car. It's one that looked just like it. I'm not lying. That, that's not a lie. That's not an unintentional lie. You cannot unintentionally lie. You cannot unintentionally sin. But it was the sins of omission. And what I mean by that is, remember, the, the, the old law, it had all of these things like you had to wash your hands before you did this and you had to prepare your food this way and there were times that you could omit some of the steps that the law had included. Thus, it was a sin of omission. You just didn't do what you were supposed to do. You omitted some steps. And, uh, and so you, you see these, this priest, he would go once a year and he would have to take blood. And he would offer that, that sacrifice, that blood for himself. Why? Because he was a man and he had sinned. And before he could mediate, before he could minister before God for others, he has to first make himself clean. And so he'd have to go and offer that. And then he would offer it for there. Verse 8, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place does not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So, first off, they said as long as you have that other part, where you have these priests that daily have to do the ritual, can't let the light go out, have to make sure the, te- the, the table of showbread is there and, and, and make sure that the bronze altar always has fire on it. You know, as long as they're doing that, then, then, then we're not yet into where we can get to that, that holiest of holies. But then it said, I like what it says. It says, according to this arrangement, the old law, all of those gifts and those sacrifices cannot perfect the conscience of, of the worshiper but deal only with the food and drink and various washings and regulations now I want you to listen very carefully the old covenant dealt only with outer man what you could see what you if, if you touched a, 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 a leper person or something with leprosy you were unclean and that was something that they could look out on the outside and say you were unclean if someone heard you tell a lie, then you, they could go and through the witnesses they could do that. If you didn't wash your hands right, if you ate the wrong food or drank the wrong drink, the old covenant dealt with those. In fact, somewhere else, and I don't know if it's in the King James here, but somewhere else it would talk about the fleshly 
regulations. And that doesn't mean sinful flesh necessarily, but that it only dealt with the flesh. But that is a limited thing. God is far. We see it all the way back to to, uh, uh, David. God is far more concerned on what is on the inside before he ever worries about what's on the outside. Notice I didn't say he's not concerned what's on the outside. I said before he's concerned on what's on the outside. He's concerned about what's on the inside. And that is why a new covenant came that could not only take care of the outside, it first changed the inside. There's this understanding, and we may we may get to it again. I may find notes that I wrote earlier, but if I could, if I could give you this, this picture, a, 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 a person would come with their, their sacrifice. They had sinned. They knew they hadn't measured up to the law. They would come to their sacrifice with their sacrifice. And they would put that with the priest and they would lay it on the altar and then you have the, the day of atonement and all of that. But when they left, there was no loss of their conscience. They knew they had sinned. Oh, it was taken care of symbolically by the blood, but they just, you didn't have that release. One of the most beautiful things that I love, and Brother Steve, you made mention of it. You're you're one of the last ones we've baptized, but so many others have. They go down in the water, they come up, and the first thing they start saying is, I'm clean, I'm clean, I feel like, you didn't have that in the Old Testament. They didn't have that feeling of it's gone. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remittance of sin. And you're going to find in a moment that even though they shed a lot of blood, until you have the blood of the spotless lamb, it doesn't work. Let's let's look, look, uh, verse 11. And when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not this creation, He entered once and for all into the holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. I want you to take note in in this verse and the next couple verses. I want you to take note at every time it uses the word eternal. That's something powerful. So here it is. You've got, first off, man made that tabernacle there in the desert. Man, now they did it according to the plan of God, but man had to make the tabernacle and man had to make the dwelling place of God. But that is not what God has always desired. God wants it not to be something we make because it's not ourselves that can do anything. And so Jesus comes not into a tabernacle of the holy places. I mean, not of a tabernacle made by hand, but he enters into the holy place. And it's not because of the blood of goats and bulls that are shed. For watch this, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If and, and, and don't get me wrong, we've, we've taken time on this. Go back and listen. The old covenant had its place. And if the blood 
of old Bessie out behind the barn that you've kept made sure nothing ever happened to her and she had no blemishes if the blood of that old cow could affect a change for humanity for the good how much more should the blood of the spotless lamb of God come through the eternal spirit what do you mean it's because everything we know that, that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh and so this is where I may not be able to understand it all, but I'm so glad for it, if that makes sense, that God provided the sacrifice. Let me take you back to the top of a mountain called Mount Moriah, I believe. Remember when Isaac and, and, and Abraham are climbing that mountain because God told uh, uh, Abraham, you, you're going to have to sacrifice your son? Y'all remember that? And they're climbing the mountain and Isaac's doing everything he was supposed to do. And, and, and he, said, he says, Dad, I'm carrying the wood. And, and Dad, you've got some fire in your hand. But I don't see any sacrifice. I don't see any meat that we're going to offer. What's going to happen? And Abraham said, oh, God, to take care of it. They get all the way up there and Abraham lays Isaac on there. And I know Isaac was freaking out, but the Bible doesn't indicate that he tried to struggle or, or run. And, and Abraham put that sacrifice on the altar. He went to raise his hand, and God, the angel of the Lord, stopped it and said, No, no, thank you. Your faith took you far enough. I've got a sacrifice. And God provided the sacrifice. Can I just tell you, there's a difference when you bring your own sacrifice for your sin versus when God says, I've got this. I've got this. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so you find that, that not only do we have an eternal redemption, and again, we talked about that last week, that that eternal redemption means that once the blood of Jesus was shed, it was, it was powerful enough to take all of those sins that through faith they had kind of taken care of by the law, and it just it, it remitted all of those sins that had been done under the law. So it's eternal in that sense. But no matter how long God decides to let us stay on this earth, if we go for another thousand years or a million years, the blood of Jesus will take care of the one all the way to the very end when he calls us home. But now watch here. Therefore, he, we're talking about Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal, of eternal inheritance since a death has recurred, has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant that called. Let me, let me just, would you, would you, if you have your Bibles, would you go back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 for a moment? And I don't know, Brother Ron, if you can put that up there in the King James, I want you to see it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our, uh, of our confession. Now watch that. It says, partakers... Of the heavenly calling. Can I remind you that many are called, but few are chosen? That doesn't mean some Calvinistic doctrine of God says, I like you, I don't like you, I like you, and he kind of picks it all out. What it means is everyone is called, but there's only some that choose to partake. There's only some who, who are called that may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. That's what Brother Tom Harding was talking about, that, that heaven, there's coming a day. 
I love it. But this is where it gets, it gets so, so much fun. Now watch this in verse 16. I know I keep telling you to watch it, but I get excited. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all of the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So we don't understand exactly what that is. In fact, I don't see anywhere in the Old Testament uh, uh, what, what they're talking about here, about the scarlet thread and the hyssop and the wool and the water. But obviously there was some something in the tradition or at least in the oral history that caused the writer of Hebrews to write this but the understanding was when they got ready to inaugurate Moses' covenant they built the tent and there, there was a moment where there was some blood and water that was mixed and they sprinkled the entire tent. And then when they created the bronze altar, they sprinkled that. And then when they created the, the golden candlestick, they create, there was a time where they sprinkled the people. I don't know how it all went, but this is where it is. And Moses, I want you to catch this. Moses did it. He said, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Without the blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Verse 23, we're going to get somewhere right there. Verse 23, thus it is necessary for the copy of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices for these. For Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So let me paint you a picture. The Bible uses over and over that the Old Testament is a type. The Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. If I could do it, and we don't have a, a thing, I could put someone up by the wall, take a bright light and shine. You would see the real person, and then you would see a shadow. Now, give a shadow, a type, an example of what is going to happen. So I, I want there to be the presence of God that you can kind of see. And so he, they made that 15 by 15 square room uh, there in the tabernacle. They made that holy of holies. And they would say that's where God dwelled. Everyone knew God didn't dwell just there. God dwelled in heaven. They knew that. But that was a symbolic thing. And so they would go and they would, if they wanted to get into the presence of God, the only way they could do that was to to purify with all of these rites, these rituals, these things in the Old Testament. But here comes Jesus. Jesus doesn't walk into the temple. Jesus doesn't go and, and, and open the holiest of holies and walk there it, it, right where, where the Ark of the Covenant should be, which, by the way, the understanding is by Jesus' time, they had even lost the Ark of the Covenant. It's not even there. Which is why when the veil rent, when Jesus died, everyone could have had access to see how empty the old covenant was. 
I don't know what the priest did that went behind the veil on the day of atonement. I don't know what he did, but there was nothing there. It was empty. But Jesus does something nobody else could do. Jesus strides right into the holiest of holies, heaven. By the blood that he shed for you and I. And he's there. Now, did you recall what Moses said when they kind of opened up Moses' covenant? As he sprinkled the blood over everything, he said, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded you. Does that ring a bell with anybody? How about the Last Supper? When Jesus is facing the cross in just a few days, he grabs a, a, a glass of wine or whatever was there and he holds it up. What does he say? This is the blood of the covenant that I've shed for you. Y'all remember that? It's, it's the exact same thing. Now, they didn't, they didn't understand it, but I'm going to tell you, when, when Jesus did that in the, in the Last Supper, and, and we'll, we'll hit that real hard on, on January the 8th, but when Jesus lifted up that, that cup, I promise you, every disciple perked up their ears because they knew what Moses said. And this is something that's similar but a little bit different, but it's Jesus saying it, and so they begin to listen to it. Hmm, what does this mean? I want to bring your attention back to verse 24. It says that Jesus now appears in the presence of God on our behalf. I want to paint one more word picture. All I'm trying to do is kind of wrap this up, and I want you just to see how awesome Jesus is. I want to, I, I want to paint one more word picture. In the Old Covenant, the priests, the high priest, one person in every generation, had access to the presence of God, that holiest holy, had access to that presence of God only one day a year. But he had to go into a darkened tent with, with smoke and incense that would cover there. I know there was a lamp that illuminated, but I'm going to tell you, I've been in tents with lamps and lanterns, and it's not near like what we have right now. And the smoke was there. It was hazy. It was dark. You didn't see everything perfectly. You had to let your eyes adjust. It was a, it was not a, and to be honest, it was not something they wanted to do. History and, and Jewish tradition tells us, and, and even the Bible indicates, that if you entered in there unworthily, you died. And nobody really wanted to do that because in the back of every high priest's mind was, have I really done it right? When the high priest, because they, they would have different ways that they would do it, when the high priest would say uh, to his wife, he would say, honey, it's the day of atonement. I've got to go behind the veil. His wife would fret all day long. Am I going to get the call that my husband did something wrong? Did he mess up? Did he omit something? Is he going to die? Going into the presence of God in the Old Testament was a frightening undertaking and it was dark and it was limited and it was obscured but in the New Testament going into the presence of God is bright it's access whosoever will let him come the high priest could not bring anybody with him behind the veil 
But Jesus throws the veil open and he looks at you and I and he says, come with me. And he says, follow me. That's what Jesus did with his sacrifice. The tabernacle, the temple was a place of sections. And you can come into this place, but you have to stay out. But in heaven there are no such things. There are no such limits. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But I want you to come where I am. I want you to come. Whosoever will, let them come. I love it. I love it. The Bible says in verse 27, or or rather, verse uh, uh, 25, Nor is it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not of his own. If Jesus did that, then Jesus would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, since he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear at a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting One person said it this way, and I like it. One person says, if you're born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll die once. He said, you must be born again. Ha! I love it. I love it. Let's let's go. We're almost done. We're going to skip through this last part pretty quickly. Verse chapter 10. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can uh, never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. All of the sacrifices that went. One one preacher, Tim Weatherid, said this, and I I can't, I don't know, I can't fact check him, so I'm just telling you, it, it sounds good. He said he calculated from Genesis to Ezra. There was over 4 billion gallons of blood spilled in sacrifices throughout the year. But Jesus spilled, and and it, it depends, Jesus spilled some 8 to 10 pints of blood. And it was enough forever. Those priests, if all of those sacrifices, if any of those sacrifices could have made a difference, they'd have stopped sacrificing. But it couldn't. They had to keep doing it. It's kind of like you have to keep washing your car. You go wash it if you're my, if you're lucky like I am because I, I have awesome luck. You wash your car, and then a flock of geese flies over it as you pull out of the car wash, and that fifteen dollars goes down the drain that I just spent. You have to keep doing it, and they had to keep doing it. Look at verse two. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in that these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And again, I just want to remind you, it couldn't work. So verse 5, consequently, when Christ came in the world, he said, and this is a a quote from Psalms chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. Sacrifices and offerings have you not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I will come and do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus came. And when he said above, 
and, and we're just saying it again. You've neither desired nor taken pleasures and sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Those are offered according to the law. And then he added, but behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second in that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily. Remember the word stand for a moment. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. If you go back to the Old Testament teaching, you will find that it was, a, it, it was never appropriate to offer a sacrifice sitting down. There was something in that, in that understanding. And so those priests, every day, would have to offer the same sacrifices. That, that, that uh, brazen altar never went out. There was constantly an aroma of something burning, something being offered. And they would come each and every day, and they would stand, and they would do that. In fact, the table of showbread was because when a priest was doing his duty, he couldn't go to McDonald's on his lunch break and get food. And so every week, they would put cakes of bread on the table of showbread. And that was for every priest that would work through that day. And that was what he could take while he was doing his duties. He could eat of that. And they would have to be, continue to put that on there. But look at verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all of those time those who are being sanctified. Jesus did it one time, and his job was done, and he could go rest, if you will. He could go sit down. It's that, it's that, that statement on the cross, it is finished. It's closing the book that Jesus did when he was in the tabernacle, or the temple rather. And he closed the book after he read it and he said, And this day has this been fulfilled. Meaning, here it is, you're seeing it. That chapter is done. The right hand of God we've discussed several times throughout the book of Hebrews. That is not a spatial limitation. That is simply a, a, a poetic statement of power. It doesn't mean that there's two up there that you're seating. It just means that that's the power, if you will. He sits down and he's waiting for the time that the enemies will be his footstool. He's already defeated him. He's just waiting until the time that we're, or the world and earth has made its, its uh, transition. They'll put devil and Satan in, in chains they'll put him in that pit lake of fire however you see that eschatology rolling out it's there verse 15 and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for saying this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days declares the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and write them on their minds and then he adds I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more and where the, there is forgiveness of these there is no more offering of sin. If, if you have a debt, and, and we, we, we had fun with that last week, with that million-dollar check to your brother sponsor, but if you have a debt and somebody wipes that debt clean, quit going and trying to pay for the debt. If God has washed your sins once and for all and remitted them and removed them, then there doesn't need to be another sacrifice. He did that. Hallelujah. So let me end this section going like this because we're fixing to jump into chapter 11 where we talk about faith and what that means and the witnesses. But 
here's where the writer of Hebrews starts to get us get us on. Therefore, brothers and sisters, even though that might not be written there, but just so you understand that, we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. And let us now consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You say, now, now, man, this seems real different from all we've been talking about. No, it all fits. Because up until this point, they, the, the believers, these new Christians, they would get together at the temple, they would get together at synagogues, and they would worship. They would come together. I want to read to you from Brother Seagrave's uh, commentary. I want to read to you what he says about this. He says, according to verse 25, that one of the first and most visible signs, I want you to listen very carefully because a lot of people know this verse. I want you to understand it. One of the, most fir- one of the first and most visible signs of Christian faith is the frequent gathering of believers for worship and mutual encouragement. He goes on to say that just as those frequent gatherings of worship and coming together of the Christian's faith, it's indicative of that Christian faith. So where faith wanes, it is characterized by a loss of commitment to the community of worship and exhortation. As this verse notes, some of the Jewish Christians had already forsaken the assemblings of themselves together. See, there's something, and I'm I'm still quoting, there is something about believing in Jesus that lends itself and thrives in mutuality. My faith in Jesus, while if I was stranded on a desert island all by myself, I could still be saved. But there's something about my faith in Jesus that causes me to want to be by somebody else who has faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus was never meant to be experienced in isolation. And when people choose isolation, it's usually a sign of a deeper spiritual crisis. I've made statements before, and I've heard other people make statements that there's two things that a pastor can use to identify the commitment and the faith of someone, and that is their giving and their church attendance. And I've had people say, well, I don't know about that. I don't think it really matters. I can love God all by myself. And I could say, you know, maybe. But I could show you someone by the name of Samson who thought he could do it all by himself and found that it don't work like that. I could find a Judas that would try to get away and do things on his own, but it just doesn't seem to work that way. Can I just tell you today that the reason, you know, I'm I'm blessed. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to enunciate it appropriately. But when I see things like last Wednesday and and the the hunger of each one of you as you're 
gathering this deep understanding and then Sunday morning when we can talk about Hark the Herald Angels Sing and there's this, just this explosion of mercy. This is what it means when your faith is in Jesus Christ. I want more. I want to learn more. I want to be with others. I want to help others go. That's why it says exhort them. Stir them up to love and good works. If you're not stirring people up to love and good works, you need to question your faith. If, if when you get around somebody, it's not lifting them up, man, you better question your faith. Because faith in Jesus Christ brings us together. Brings us together. Now let me just end it right here, and, and, and I'm going to do it quickly, but I just want to make sure we all understand for if we go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, remain, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the one that said, The Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to just go on record. Listen carefully. This doesn't mean that if you have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and, and repented of your sins, and I got repentance out of order, that there might be times you're going to slip and fall. There might be times that, you know, you just didn't quite measure up. This does not mean there's no more sacrifice for your sin. This does not mean you're lost and God throws you away. What this means is those that had left Acts 2.38 and said, I want to go back to the Jewish belief system. Well, there remains no more sacrifices. There's not even an Ark of the Covenant behind the veil that you can go put the blood on. And so if you've done that, not only have you left, have you left Jesus and left God, but now you're, you're in something that doesn't even exist anymore. You're, if you will, you're depositing money in a bank that's already closed and shut up. It's, 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 and they, you know, they're not even an entity anymore, but you keep depositing your money in it. You're not going to get anything out of it. And so you're going to live your life. You, not only can you not be saved because you've left Acts 2.38 but there's nothing in the old covenant that can save you and if you're not saved judgment day is going to be an awful place for you and then he goes on to say this but recall the formal day, former days after you were enlightened meaning after you got the Holy Ghost you endured a hard struggle with sufferings Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes you were partners with those so treated. Remember, now we're starting to get into this time period where sometimes there's, there's opposition against Christianity. Rome is starting to rise up against Christianity. Even the Jews are starting to rise up against Christianity. But you had compassion on those who were in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew you had a better possession in heaven, an abiding one. So therefore... Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Friend, life, just as Brother Harding said, life can throw you some great curves. But it's okay. Your car might get wrecked. Your house shutters may fall off. Termites might come. But don't give up on God. 
I got a greater inheritance up there anyway. I'm just going to try to make it. I, I'm going to do my best to keep my car up and my house up and my all those other things. But at the end of the day, the only thing matters is when that trumpet sounds, where am I going to go? And so don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. For if you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised for yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul doesn't have any pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and we preserve our souls. I want us to stand. And just in case those that he was talking to didn't quite get it, just in case there were those that said, Pastor, I mean, I love the Lord and I love things of God and I got the Holy Ghost, but I'm really struggling. And I'm really, you know, life has not treated me well and, 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 and I'm, I'm just kind of losing my faith. Well, we're going to get into Hebrews chapter 11 and we're going to get into the hall of faith and we're going to see some great faith. And then we'll trans, excuse me, transition to Hebrews chapter 12 that says, Hey, if all of these can make it, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, then let's run this race. We can do it. Why don't we lift our hands and why don't we just thank God for what we've already seen and what we've already felt in Jesus' name. Lord, I myself, even though I'm the one that's teaching it, I myself have, have come to each one of these messages. And Lord, you have allowed me a better understanding.